0: Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. My name is Travis Edgerton, for those of you who don't know me. And if you don't know me, I'd love to meet you. After the service, come say hi, and I'd love to meet you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this week, so if you want to open there, uh, either on your device or a Bible that you've got, or uh, the Bible in front of you, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 5. We've been in this series called uh, The Image of God. And what we've seen so far is uh, the first week looking at God's original design. For humanity, that we were made in His image, and that that doesn't just mean that we share attributes with God, but it means that we share purpose. That He said, "I've put you humans in this world, fill it with more humans, more imagers of Me, and then rule over it." But ruling it doesn't look like what we tend to see ruling as today, right? Ruling over it was a self-giving, promoting. the the greater flourishing of other human beings. That's what ruling over it meant. And then we saw in the second week how we rebelled. And each one of us, so Adam and Eve rebelled, but each one of us in our own way has sinned and rebelled against God. And we have, uh, even though we are still the image of God, we are broken, shattered images, aren't we? It's very difficult to image God from where we're at because we're broken and we're shattered. And then last week we saw how Jesus is the perfect image of God. He lived life as a human being should have. He's the only normal human being who ever walked this planet because he lived under God's original design. And through his death on the cross, he paid for our sin and he opened up a way for us to be part of God's kingdom again. And not just that, he showed us how to walk through this life surrounded by the kingdom of the upside down Still imaging God from our brokenness. But how do we think and live now? In the space between, Jesus did what he did, lived his life, died and raised and r- went to the Father, and he's gonna return. But, but how do we live now? The world around us is still very broken, and so, so are we. Uh, can I get an amen? We are so <laughs> broken. So what do we do? Do we just kind of sit it out and wait and just try to keep our noses clean and be good little girls and boys and try not to kick up too much dust? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I can just end the sermon there. That's, you know. Or, Or do we stress out and say, okay, so this world's broken and it's my job to fix everything? No, no, no. We can't do that either. Because Jesus is the one who's going to come and fix everything. But, but there is this in between, right? We are imagers of God. And we are called to image him in this world. Amen. How do I image God when I'm broken? How do I image God when the other people around me who are broken bring their messes into my life? And I'm supposed to respond to them somehow imaging God while I'm hurting. Today I want to get practical with Jesus' words as our guide. But before we dig in, I want to shine a light on something that is so obvious that we may not even see it. It's really easy to feel when we go through a sermon series like this where we talk about how humans were made but then we messed it up and then Jesus didn't mess it up and he's perfect and then there's me. It's easy to feel like, ah, here's one more thing that I'm not doing right. Here's one more way that I'm imperfect. I already have a list of a million things that I'm imperfect in, and here's one more thing, and we can feel weighted down by this. Or we can feel like, this is just one more thing on my list of things to do and change. I just don't know what I can do more. I want to encourage you. If you feel that way, don't. God loves you, and he is for you. God loves you, and he is for you. This is a process. God is not heaping additional weight on you. He's taking the burden you've been carrying of brokenness. He's trying to remove it from you and give you his very light and easy burden of walking in faith with him. I remember when I was a little kid, my family rented this movie. Uh, it was before DVDs. It was the VHS movies, right? You, went, you used to have to go to a... Hey, kids. You used to have to go to a video store and, and actually pull a physical video off of it and rent it and bring it home. And then you had to re- rewind it when you were done and return it. Anyways. What? What? So be kind, rewind, right? So, so this VHS tape, and it was this, this creepy movie. In the, it was in the kids' section. I don't know why it was there. It was called Watcher in the Woods. And it's this, it ended up being this. I don't think we finished it. I just remember one scene from it and one scene only. These two girls, and they're walking in the woods, and they kind of get lost or whatever, and then one of them falls in this pond, and she kind of sinks down and gets stuck under these branches that are down there, and she's drowning, like she's going to die. And then out of the woods comes this old creepy lady. Looks like a witch. And she grabs a stick, and she shoves it down there, and she starts pushing the girl further down. And as a kid, I'm like, this is not like the other Disney movies I've seen. She's pushing her further down, and and the the other sister's like, stop it, stop it, and trying to get her off, and she pushes the other little girl, and she's just got this look on her face. She's pushing her down, And 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 then all of a sudden, she's freed and comes up. See, I thought she was the villain, but what she was doing was she was pushing that girl further down to get her unstuck from the branches so she could come up. That's kind of like what this is. Jesus is saying, humble yourself. Let go of the things you've always relied on that this world has taught you. Go lower, and I'll bring you up. Awesome what we can learn from a creepy movie. (laughs) You guys, this process of letting go of what we've known to walk in our original design is sometimes painful and scary, but no matter how it feels, it is freedom. Now, through the Sermon on the Mount... We're going to be just kind of breezing through this morning. Not the whole thing, don't worry. Uh, I want to share with you some themes and connected thoughts that together paint a picture of how we live as imagers of God right now. And the first thing I want to say before I read read the text is this. The way up is down. The way up is down. We are in the kingdom of the upside down. Everything is topsy-turvy. Read what Jesus said in this sermon, Matthew 5, starting at verse 2. And he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst For righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church. Humility is the posture of imagers of God. Humility is the posture of someone reflecting God in this world. You will never see love standing proud and arrogant. You will always see love kneeling and washing feet. That's the posture of love. It's the posture of imaging, humility. And this is not being a, a doormat. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not preaching a sermon to be a weak, kind of milk toast kind of person that's a doormat. It's not what we're saying here. It's choosing to love and serve like Jesus did. Do you know what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 18? He says, no one takes my life from me. No one takes it from me. No one's coming and crucifying me out of my power. No one takes it from me. But listen to what he says. But I lay it down. Of my own accord. I have authority to take it, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my father. Nobody took Jesus' life, but he still laid it down. It's not doormat. This is a choice. Imaging God is so much about having rights and not always claiming them. Laying them down willingly for the sake of your calling to give of yourself for the flourishing of others. I want to tell you this too. This is important. Listen to this. The why matters. The why matters. Why you do what you do in imaging and trying to reflect God, it matters. What's happening in here is of the utmost importance. Moving to Matthew 5, 21, Jesus' words still. You have heard that it was said to those of old, in other words, your religious teachers have taught you all along, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Note something about this scenario. Jesus doesn't indicate whether the brother you are angry at or the one who is angry at you is wrong or right. You know why? Because to someone imaging God, it doesn't matter to someone walking in humility and love. It doesn't matter if I am justified in my anger at that person or they are justified or not justified in their anger at me. What matters is love. What matters is what's going on in here. Do I love that person enough to do something to bring reconciliation, to bring flourishing to that person's life, whether or not they've harmed me, whether or not I've harmed them? In this passage, in the following passage, actually, Passages, Jesus is lovingly showing us where sin starts. Not just in the outward actions, not just what I did, or whether our, or, or not our actions are justified. Imaging God or not starts with the inner intentions of my heart. It's not just what we do. It's why we do it. Imaging God well is modeling the love of God. Remember what Matt preached when we did the Love Is series? This this statement he made blew my mind and it's been bugging me in a really good way ever since. He said this, we are the object of God's love, not the reason for it. We are the object of God's love, not the reason for it. I don't know about you, actually I do, but I don't know about you, I haven't given God a whole list of reasons to love me. I haven't done a bunch of stuff that gains His favor. My life is not great. The things I've done, the ways I've rebelled, I've not given God a long list of reasons to love me. So, why does He love me? It's who He is. He doesn't love me because I've given him reason to. He loves me because he loves. It's his character, it's what he does. And we image God well when we love others the same way that they are not the first cause of our love, they are not the reason I'm going to show love to them. They are the object of our love, not the reason for it. That we would lay down our rights and love other human beings, not because they give us reason to, but because of who we are. Adopted, loved, members of God's family. And so we love them not because they give us reason to, but because we love. And because they are made in God's image as well, no matter how broken they are we are not, when we are imaging God, we are not just imitating good behavior. We are not just imaging and imitating good behavior. Can I say that again? We are not just imitating good behavior. If it's only about imitating good behavior, a robot can do that. But a robot can't have intentions. What we do is important and why we do it matters because we not only image God with our behavior but with our intentions. Moralism will never image God accurately because at its core, it is selfish gain. Any religion or philosophy that is about being morally good at its core I'm not saying morals are bad, I'm saying morally good at its core, ends up being a way that people condemn others and control others. Moralism, merely imitating good behavior, is at its core selfish and will always end up warped as a tool for using against others. If imaging God means choosing humility and love as our core motivation, we're going to have to make some decisions on what methods we employ in this life. Our hearts have got to be changed. We've got to look at Jesus and say, I want to be like him, and I want to do things for the same reasons he does. And then it's got to change what we do. It's got to change how we live. So I want to say this to you. Choose your weapons wisely. Choose your weapons wisely, and there's a reason that that is in quotation marks. Matthew five thirty-eight, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, Jesus, say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You want to be in the family business, in your Father's family business? Start loving people who hate you. That's what He does. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagan Gentiles do the same? In these passages, Jesus envisions a personal war. An imager of Jesus has been attacked. Your enemy has launched an assault against you with weapons of anger, hate, violence, the court system, intimidation and persecution, all those things. And it has done harm to you. So the question Jesus poses is, they've attacked you with their weapons. What weapon are you going to pick up and respond with? What weapon does Jesus envisions, envision his imager picking up and fighting back with? Not hate. Not anger. Love. Forgiveness. Mercy. Mercy why weapon is in quotes. There's two reasons, there's probably more, two reasons I can think of why when we are attacked, when, when the world uses its kingdom of the upside down weapons against us, why we respond in love. First reason, because our homeland is the kingdom of Jesus. A kingdom built on love as defined by God. Kingdom patriotism demands that we use the weapons, the weapons supplied by our true homeland. Because we are not of this world. We were born here. But if you have given your life to Jesus, your citizenship is not America, your citizenship is the kingdom of God. First and foremost, it's okay to be an American or French or English or Botswanan. But if you have given your heart to Jesus, your citizenship is in his kingdom. And if you want to be a patriot of that kingdom... It demands that you use the weapons supplied by your homeland, the kingdom of Jesus, which aren't weapons at all. It's love. The second reason why it's so important that we respond with love when others come at us with hate and anger, bitterness, it's because the person who is acting like your enemy isn't actually your enemy. This is so hard for me to even believe as I say it right now, just being honest. When I've been attacked, when I've been hurt, when people have come at me, it it feels so real that that is my enemy and they must be destroyed. But that person, that image of God, as broken as they are, is not my enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, humanity, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not the people who hurt you that are the enemy, it's the spiritual reality behind them that has instigated all this mess in the first place. That's the enemy. And no matter how much somebody hurts you, they are not the enemy. And so if you shoot back at them with the same weapons, you're shooting at the wrong person. I want to say this, and I want you to lean in, and I want you to get it, and I want you to res- put it into your heart, whatever, whatever you can do, absorb this. I cannot build the kingdom of Jesus while holding the weapons of the world in my hands. I cannot, in a moment that I choose to pick up the weapons of this upside-down kingdom, I cannot at the same time be building the kingdom of Jesus. To image God, you will have to make some conscious choices to lay down your rights and not use the upside-down tools at your disposal. Church, I'm speaking to Christians right now, people who say they follow Jesus. We make far too many concessions for using weapons of the kingdom of the upside down. And we say things like, well, they did it to me. Or we say, it's my right. Or we say, it's just normal how I'm acting. It's just, just normal. That's the problem. If we're acting normal in a kingdom that's flipped on its head upside down and destroying itself and the people in it every day, if we're acting normal, there's a problem. Followers of Jesus can't be normal. We're denying our design as human beings made in the image of God if we act normal according to this world. Let me give you a little picture of this. If an American soldier who is at war in one of the lands that we're at war with right now, if he went to the other side, picked up a weapon of the enemy, and started shooting back at his own troops, what would you call him? A traitor. Let that sink in. When we use our influence actions, and words to tear down another image of God for our own benefit, we are building and strengthening the upside-down kingdom, Satan's kingdom. And it is treason. But God is merciful. But it's treason. Do you know what Satan, the devil, you know what his titles are, One of his, some of his main titles as we get see him described in the Bible, in the New Testament he's called what we translate into English as the devil. The original word that is used, though, it just means slanderer, slanderer, someone who uses his mouth to tear down another. In the Old Testament, he's labeled oftentimes as Satan, but the original language that just means the adversary one who's adversarial. There are most certainly things we should speak up about and be against as followers of Jesus. But when we become characterized by being adversarial, argumentative, and attacking others, we are imaging Satan. We must oppose sin and evil. But I have to ask two questions first. Have you first shown resolve in your heart to oppose sin and evil in your life? Remember the whole plank in your eye thing that Jesus has to take out before you pick out the speck in another's? When you're, when you're verbalizing how horrible this world is and how things need to change, have you first taken the resolve to say, but what about me? What about me? Where am I evil? Second, in opposing evil... Are you inadvertently using methods and postures that were designed by the upside-down kingdom of evil? What you're saying or what you're believing may be true, but how you're communicating it and how you're going about opposing evil, is it evil? For many Christians, the digital age that we live in is not our friend. There's this thing... I refer to as digital courage. And it's, you get online and you disagree with someone, and so you feel free slandering them, saying all kinds of horrible things about them because there's this digital distance between you and them. You don't have to say it straight to their face. You can type it, it goes out into the interwebs, and it's out there for everyone else to see, but you don't have to deal with their reaction right now. Digital courage. So I have an opinion and so I'm just going to mouth out, off about it online and say whatever I want in whatever I, way I want. And I'm going to call people idiots and I'm going to call names and I'm going to ride down another image of God. You may be right in what you're saying, but the way you're doing it, the way I'm doing it, is Evil. Just a little side note, in this digital age we live in, I call it the 90% rule. Don't see 90% of what's available on the internet, and don't say 90% of what you think. Because if we're normal, 90% of what we think and we will say will destroy and tear down another image of God. Imaging God means we will be different. We say we follow Christ. Imaging him means we will be different. I'm not talking about the guy on the corner with the sandwich board and the signs and the bullhorn yelling people at people. I'm not talking about that kind of different. But we we should be different. That when we're hated, we will love. When we're attacked, we will forgive. When we have the opportunity to one-up someone, instead, we go low and we serve them. What we see all around is normal for the upside-down kingdom, but it is not normal for the design, the original design of humanity. And that is what we are called into. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not called to be normal. You're called to be original. You're called to be transformed into the original design that God had for human beings. And so you can't use the weapons of this world We've got to stop letting what is normal in culture define our imaging God. We've got to stop letting our politics define our Christianity. Fox News did not die for you on the cross. CNN did not die for you on the cross. King Jesus died for you on the cross. Christian. Don't let some arbitrary team you've picked because of your beliefs, don't let that define your imaging of God. Why don't we read the Bible? Why don't we look at Jesus and let him define how we image God? If you think I'm preaching at you, you're wrong. I hate what I'm saying right now because it's going to make me change, and it has made me change. But we have got to stop letting anything other than Jesus call our shots for us. We've got to stop letting our rights define what is right. I want to say this to you. Choose your rewards and consequences. Choose your rewards and consequences. Imaging God is is often not rewarded in the kingdom of the upside down that we live in. If you've heard a preacher talking about if you do all these things right and you give this amount of money, your life will be completely blessed and nothing bad will ever happen. He's not preaching the gospel because Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Imaging God will not often be rewarded. So you must choose your treasure, and when you do, realize that you are also choosing corresponding consequences. I'm not trying to bum you out right now. I'm not trying to say, hey, follow Jesus and your life's going to stink. I'm just trying to be honest. Jesus warned us. Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. And on earth, it's going to be a little hard. Not always, but often. The question is, would I rather have earthly treasure with kingdom consequences or kingdom treasure with earthly consequences? Consequences, yes worth it absolutely absolutely i want to say this to you as well humility now greatness then humility now greatness then matthew 7:24 this is jesus wrapping up his sermon on the mount he says this Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, Jesus. We are trusting a person and his words to us, Jesus and here's a picture of what he's telling us following him in this world and letting go of the weapons that the world has provided to you to fight back it's going to feel a little bit sometimes like you're just getting pounded down and pounded down and pounded down and pounded down i'm following jesus that person hurt me but i will not retaliate pounded down I have a right right now. I have a right, and I could claim it, but if I do, it will not increase the flourishing of that person's life, pounded down. And in this kingdom of the upside down, as you get pounded down, lower and lower, in humility you go, just think about what happens when Jesus returns and turns everything right side up. The lower you go now in humble love for God and others, the greater you will be when Jesus turns everything right side up. He promised it. The first will be last, and the last will be first. The more you image God, the lower and more humbly you serve and give of yourself now, that's love, the greater you will be when everything is flipped back up, right side up. I want to remind you, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. He loves you. He understands the brokenness and the flinch reactions you've developed because of your experiences. Jesus responds to your failures now to image him. He responds with compassion and tender discipline. He's okay with the reality that this is a process. No rush, just daily come to him, daily be changed by him. So how do I actually do this? How do I image Jesus day to day? I need something to take away. I need something to take away with me to answer the questions of life of how do I image Jesus right now in this moment? So I want to give you a few questions to ask in the moment. Here it goes. Will what I'm about to think, say, or do first connect myself and other imagers of Jesus, or connect myself and other imagers to Jesus, who is the image of God? Will what I'm about to do, say, or think right now connect other people with the source of life, Jesus? The answer is no. You probably shouldn't. The answer is yes. Go for it. Because no amount of good we produce for people has eternal impact for them if they don't know Jesus. Second thing, Will what I'm about to think, say, or do cause human flourishing. This decision I'm about to make, will it help people to flourish or will it harm them? Will it benefit me at their expense or will it benefit them sometimes, often at my expense? Will it benefit and lead to human flourishing? Remember, that's what you were designed to do. The original design of God was for human beings to rule the world by giving of themselves for the sake of human flourishing and their relationship with God. This is doing what you were made to do. The third question, well, what I'm about to think, say, or do, take the good that God has created in this world and increase it. Again, this isn't about moralism. Let's just just make it a happy place. No. Will it truly image God's character, who He is, and cause others to flourish and good to flourish? I want to end with this story. In the 1980s, Ireland found itself in a very horrible turmoil. Do any of you remember the IRA, the Irish Republican Army? This organization, the IRA, was using horrible, violent tactics to try and force Irish independence from British rule. Now, Gordon Wilson was an Irishman and was a follower of Jesus who owned a, a drapery store in a town called Enniskillen, Ireland. And on November 8, 1987, he took his family to a Remembrance Day parade. It's much like our Memorial Day in the town square of Enniskillen, Ireland. His family's there, and what no one knew is that the IRA had rigged several buildings in the square with explosives. And so when the explosives went off, Gordon and his daughter Marie were trapped together under the rubble of, of a wall that had collapsed. And they were gravely injured and were under the rubble for several hours until emergency workers could get to them. When they were finally removed from the rubble, they were taken to the hospital where Gordon survived, but his precious daughter, Marie, died from her injuries. A few days later, the BBC interviewed several of the survivors of the bombing, and Gordon was one of them. Later on, a man named William Urie wrote in his book, The Third Side, no one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he said in that interview. His grace towered over the miserable justification of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, Wilson described his last conversation with his daughter while they were still trapped under the rubble. Wilson said, She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me, and those were the last words I ever heard her say. And to the astonishment of listeners... Wilson went on to add, but I will bear no ill will. I will bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring her back to life. I will pray tonight and every night for the men who did this, that God will forgive them. No words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such powerful and emotional impact. One year later, on the anniversary of the bombing, Gordon Wilson hosted a Day of Remembrance event to remember those who died in the bombing. And to this event, he invited leaders and members of the IRA, those responsible for killing his daughter. And there he publicly announced his forgiveness of the men who did this and also bravely implored the IRA to once and for all end the violence it had so long relied on. Gordon Wilson was no doormat. He would not pick up the weapons of this upside down kingdom, but he was not a doormat. This is a man who was an imager of God who knew his king and who stood in the strength of humble love. He understood what it meant to lay down the weapons of the upside-down kingdom and to do battle with the weapons of his true homeland, the homeland where Jesus is king. Never forget, I can only reflect that which I am facing. Beholding, loving, and treasuring Jesus above all things is where imaging him starts. We need to look at Jesus. We need to see his love, his graciousness. We need to reject the weapons of this world and receive the tools God has put in our hand of mercy, forgiveness, letting go, surrender, humility and image our God well. I'd like to invite the band to come up, and we're going to behold Jesus right now. What we're going to do is we're going to celebrate him through communion. The Lord's Supper, this is where we eat bread and drink a cup. It reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus and how he laid his life down on the cross. As we do this, Let your heart get wrapped up in the greatness of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and let it change you. Father, we come to you now and we remember your son, who he is and how he lived, how he died and how that paid for our sins. We thank you for how you've loved us. Help us to be lovers like you are, to others. In Jesus' name, amen.